Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. How's vacation going, Coach Paula? It has been a good vacation. By the time this podcast releases on Monday, we will be tucked safely back in our home. Yes, we will. It has been beautiful weather in Florida. Just a few sprinkles here and there, but that's to be expected. So far, neither of us have gotten sunburned, although I've been worried about windburn. We've had quite the breeze a few days. Yes. On one of my runs this week, when I was going into the headwind, I was going a good minute, a minute 15 seconds slower per mile than the same effort was yielding going in the other direction. So there was definitely some legit wind coming from the south. I saw something really interesting on the beach today when we were running. There was a lady making these massive bubbles. Did you see that? I did, and I thought, oh, I wish Eliane was here because she would love the bubbles. She loves the bubbles, and I... I was in the middle of my run, so I didn't stop, but I was really curious to know what liquid was being used to produce the bubbles that seemed to be more resilient than the bubbles that we make at home. Yes, they seemed to hang out, and they were huge. So just picture a bubble the size of... Your car. I don't think it was quite that big. The one I saw was... That's the size of a recliner. How about that? There were some that size as well. I mean, big bubbles. These were some big bubbles. Speaking of Ellie Ann, she's had a big week. Yes, she has. I'm uh, sad that I'm not there with her enjoying this, but it's nice that her and her mom and dad have gotten away also and enjoyed some time together. But the baby loves the zoo and the aquarium, and she's done a little build a bear project that I think. Maybe a puppy, if it if I looked at it correctly. I have not seen that picture. Yeah, that's cute. You know, I get uh, all the premium pictures just sent to me. No, I'm kidding. I found it on Facebook. Hmm. So, but anyway, and poor Bethany, she's working this week. We've already utilized all her vacation with all of our big plans for the year. So she's got her head down working this week. I was surprised when we arrived at the condo that I remembered this place. This is the same condo and location on the beach where I got lost a couple years ago. So we have been avoiding going out really, really late at night. But lesson learned from last time, my watch knows where I'm at. I will say last night we went walking on the beach when it was dark and even even knowing exactly where this complex is it's kind of a hidden gem you can't see the its lights from the beach you can see the complex before it and the complex that's maybe three quarters or maybe a quarter to three tenths of a mile farther down the beach but this one's just a little hidden gem so 
Yes, and you can see those before it gets pitch black, but once it gets pitch black, you can't see anything. I couldn't. Anyway, that was a horrific night, but it all worked out, and we're having a great vacation. Having Round it. two in St. Augustine Beach area. Yeah. Speaking of St. Augustine Beach area, you and I have traveled to this area before, and we have also traveled to the Daytona area and the New Smyrna Beach area. And I'm just going to say, if you love beach running, those are three vacation spots that gives you an extremely flat, flat, flat surface and the sand is packed down nicely it's actually a good beach for riding bicycles as well especially at low tide yeah and when it's low tide the beach is just massively wide so it's just a great alternative to being out on the roads on the contrary we've been to some places along the gulf where the beach is all soft sand and slanted and that's just not a very good running environment. Yeah, we had an athlete this week comment that his knee was hurting a little bit when he was running, and then he fessed up that he was running on the slant on the beach, and that could be just enough to do it. So you mentioned a little bit about one of your runs and being impacted by the wind. Tell us a little bit about your training this week. Yeah, so as of the release of this podcast, we are one week from the Boston Marathon. So I have... Well, when I first arrived, which I think we may have mentioned on our previous podcast, I went ahead and did my final long run. I did that in the later afternoon, early evening after having traveled. So it was a challenge and it had several miles at marathon pace, but got that in. But then the next day is when I took it out to the beach and have done all of my runs since then on the beach. So it's been a nice change. I have not seen any hills around, well, except for the overpass we talked about, but I just didn't think it looked safe. So my legs have not been training on hills this past week, but I've trained on a lot of hills leading up to this week. And our condo is on the third floor, so climbing up and down flights of steps ought to be adding a little bit of quad strength so overall feeling great about it have just a couple of more high intensity runs but the volume continues to decrease so i'm looking forward to the marathon but speaking of the marathon since it is one week away okay it's heavily on my mind obviously but i found this great little link let me see if i can Find the guy's name to give him credit. May not be able to. Hold on. Let me look. His name is Brendan O'Leary. So I want to give, you know, a shout out to him for breaking this down. But I wanted to pull up up the details as he broke the course down. It's in a nice Google Doc. He's a much faster runner than I am. He ran Boston in... Let's see, 2011 and in 2016, and he says he runs it around a 229. So that's legit. That is legit for sure. That's legit. So anyway, he has broken it down. So in the first mile, the course drops 100 feet. And again, I have not experienced the race with the corral and wave starts. I experienced in October with a rolling start. But being back to the corral start, evidently, when you start in corral two, corral three, 
there are a lot of people when he suggests, you know, you're seated by your bib time. So if people are following their bib numbers and doing what they're supposed to be doing, you really shouldn't waste a lot of energy in that first mile trying to weave around other athletes. Just go out with the group and it's a nice hundred foot drop. Be patient, settle in, and don't go out like a jackrabbit. That's my words, not his. So, And then miles two to five, you'll be leaving Hopkinton and entering Ashland. And this stretch is still slightly downhill with some rollers. So you're going up and down, but a total elevation drop goes from 350 to 200 feet. So a net loss of 150 feet. So, and again, you want to be right at or maybe even just slightly below go marathon pace, but you definitely don't want to be 10, 15 seconds faster than marathon pace. I don't know if our listeners know this, but it's you can't really bank time in the first half of a marathon. It will come back and bite you. Yeah, you want to run relaxed and let your momentum carry you a little bit. But yeah, just don't push the pace just because it feels easy. Yeah, and it will feel easier with the net downhill. But if you're going too fast, your quads are still absorbing that impact. So you just have to be patient. So then the next section miles five through nine most of this stretch is through the towns of framington and natick and it's also slightly rolling to flat and you'll pass the framington train station and a lot of deep crowds in that area so a lot of cheering section and then again as the course is flattening out you want to resist the urge to start going faster this is where this is the part of the course that You may really want to start banking time. It just doesn't work. And then miles 9 to 10, you've got the lake, which I don't know how to pronounce this, Lake Cachichuade. (laughs) You may know how to pronounce it, but I do not. But with the lake, the crowds are a little bit lighter in this area. You're getting to be 10 miles into the race. So I think this is the first part of the race that it's going to start feeling real. And this is the area where, and I can remember this area, I felt really good still. I mean, you always feel good at miles 9 to 10, but you could feel that the elevation drop had lessened and marathon effort felt like marathon effort. And so I was thinking about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and just whatever it is that you think about in your mind, this is a good time to start praying for family members or putting your focus on positives. And then miles 10 to 11, you will enter Natick Center and the crowds once again have picked up. And a lot of people get a lot of energy from crowds. I'm more introverted, so the crowds don't give me like a ton of energy, but it was pretty amazing, some of the areas and the crowding and the cheering. I get motivation from large crowds and I feel like I get a lot of motivation if there's Christian music playing, you know, worship type music songs that I've heard. Yeah. Gives me some extra momentum. Yeah, that's good. So miles 11 to 12, there is a slight uphill area and it's a wooded area. So the crowds are a little bit lighter in this area. But as you're approaching in this lighter crowded area, if you're paying attention, guess what you can hear off in the distance? Any guesses? The ladies of Wellesley. The Wellesley College. 
You definitely hear it before you see it. So then miles 12 to 13, this is definitely one of the loudest sections of the course. Although I will say mile, which we'll get to it later, but mile 20 to 21, somewhere in that area is the Boston College. And it's, I guess it's a guys and girls college because it seems there were male and female youngsters in that area and i would say it definitely at least rivaled the wellesley college area so but anyway a lot of people really like to scooch over and run close to the screaming i know that things are different now there was when i did it in october there was a huge barricade between the crowd i don't know if that's the case when you've run it before but no when i had run it before pre-pandemic, the ladies at Wellesley were right up against the road and many runners, male runners, would stop for hugs and kisses along the road. Yeah, well, it was still loud and a lot of screaming and cheering, but there was definitely a barrier between the cheering and the running. So, and seeing hugging and kissing. So, and then mile 13 to 14, in this stretch of the road, you're entering downtown Wellesley, and still the crowds will be strong. And it's nice because you hit that half marathon point, and you can kind of check and make sure. And with the net downhill, I don't think it would be that big of a deal if you're a little bit ahead of goal pace. But you certainly don't want to be two or three minutes ahead of goal pace. Like if you're 60 seconds or so ahead of goal pace... And again, that's all relative to what your pace is. But And you don't want to be behind goal pace. And you definitely don't want to be behind goal pace at that point. So miles 14 to 15 is another section that has great crowd support. It's going by athletic fields and a small shopping area. And you're going over Route 9. So this is a place you really just want to relax, think about your pace, because the technical part of the course is coming. And I wish I had really seen this article prior to running in October because I was aware of the three hills after you make the right turn at the fire station. But what I was not aware of was the hill before you get to that turn, which we'll get to. So miles 15 to 16, really at about 15 and a quarter, there's a pretty large downhill that goes into Newton Lower Falls and the course drops from 150 feet to 50 feet. So that's another pretty significant drop. And this is a good time where you don't want to get carried away, but you can kind of lengthen your stride a little bit and get your quads prepared for what's coming. Because once you get to mile 16, you really have a six to seven mile stretch where you're going to be facing hills. But you don't have six to seven miles of uphill. So when you're thinking about this section, usually you'll have like a half mile to a little more of uphill, but then there's always a good recovery period of rolling to slightly flat, even a little bit of downhill between the hills. So anyway, during this section where you've got that little bit of downhill, Sometimes when you're running downhill, you can kind of be hill striking and putting on the brakes a little bit. So you really want to think about leaning forward just a tad. I mean, you probably won't visibly be leaning forward, but just thinking about your chin being out in front of your chest, your chest being out slightly in front of your pelvis, and then maybe even shorten your stride just a little bit to get those legs 
continuing to turn over and not to be overstriding and breaking. So mile 16 to 17, and this mile's where you're leaving Newton Lower Falls, and you head up over a highway. So you're actually going up an overpass, and this was the hill before the hill. So when I'm telling people about Boston, I tell them about four hills now. The hill before the turn, and then the three hills after the turn at the fire station. So I just count this as the first hill, and from about mile 16 to 16 and a half, it's 70 feet of climb. So, I mean, for a half a mile, 70 feet, you're going to feel that hill. Yeah, that's noticeable. It's noticeable, and I don't remember that area being all that scenic, and I don't remember there being a lot of people in that area either. No, I don't remember there being a lot of people near the fire station at the the turn in Newton. Yeah. So when you're going up that hill, just remember, okay, this is a half mile. I'm going to keep my, think about keeping your effort at marathon effort. And if your pace is slowing a little bit, don't stress over it. Like if you end up going at a 10 to 15 seconds per mile slower up that hill, but you're maintaining your effort and your cadence, just don't worry about that because it's only a half a mile. And before you hit hill number two, you actually almost have another mile of flat running before you get to that second hill. In that mile, you're going to turn at the fire station before you hit hill number two. You want to stay relaxed on the hills and and not stress over those. Like you're saying, go with the flow. Don't feel like you need to do hill repeats to get to the top of the hill as fast as you can. Yeah, and just take it as, okay, I'm going to have a little uphill here for a half mile, but then I'm going to have a good mile to recover and now I've got one of four hills finished so you really have to take them one at a time and again going uphill I also like to shorten my stride a little bit and relax I know that a lot of times you mentioned think about using your arms because your legs will follow your arms and again I would use my arms much more vigorously if I'm doing hill repeats and trying to get a vo2 max workout that's not what this is (laughs) we definitely want to relax and not think about He'll repeat. But you can still focus on your arms to help lift your legs and get you to the top of each climb. Absolutely. So then miles 17 to 18, at 17.3, that's where you're going to make the right-hand turn at the Newton Firehouse, which actually is the first turn of the race. That's correct. So you've gone 17.3 miles without a single turn. Isn't that crazy? And at the Firehouse... There is typically a lot of crowds and a lot of energy, which is nice. I don't remember that. I don't remember there being a large crowd at that turn. It mm-hmm. seems like a it would be a popular place, but I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's right at the turn or right past the turn, but I feel like once you hit those next three hills, that the crowds just go on for days in that in those Newton Hills area. So you make that turn at 17.3, and hill number two happens from 17.5 to 18. And it's a it's not as big a hill. It's another half-mile climb, but it's only about 60 feet. So that first hill that I didn't know about was, was a hill. It was substantial. And again, going up that hill, you might be a little slower than go marathon pace, but it'll be okay. So then mile 18 to 19, you're going to have actually a slightly downhill and you're going to drop close to 50 feet. So really use that time to recover 
get back to your goal marathon pace. You're not trying to make up time here. You're just trying to jump back into your goal, get back into your rhythm. I want to interject yeah. something at this point. So when we're working with athletes and for ourselves as well, we like to come up with a nutrition plan. And you said in our last podcast that you were going to be fueling every 15 minutes taking a gel every 45 minutes. So just something to keep in mind, it's more difficult to consume food and drink when you're going up a hill. So you may deviate a little bit from your scheduled nutrition plan and instead focus on consuming at the top of the hill or as you're starting your decline. But don't add the extra stress of trying to get your drink and nutrition down while you're pumping your arms and trying to get up the hill with minimal effort try not to lose too much time in the race yeah and I've always heard too that once you reach the top of the hill to really laser focus and think about your pace and your form because it's easy to just get up the hill and take a sigh of relief and not really consciously get back into the momentum that you need to be in for goal pace yeah and if you're racing as a competitive athlete against other athletes that's a good time to put in a surge Mm -hmm. at the top of the hill yeah regardless of what course you're on because like you say it's a natural instinct to take a sigh of relief at the top of the hill exactly so once again we've just crested hill number two and we've had a 50 foot drop between hill number two and hill number three and we've also had about a mile that's, I mean, it's pretty good amount of time to recover and get, and regroup before you hit hill number three. Take advantage of the flat areas to just focus and regroup. So then mile 19 to 20 is when you start approaching hill number three and you'll run by Newton City Hall. Around 19 to 19 and a half, you will go uphill and I think it's about 55 feet of elevation gain. So you've had 70 feet, then you've had 60 feet, then you've had 55-ish feet. And again, on these elevation gains, you're really focusing on effort the same, a little bit shortened stride, and then just relaxed, but being aware of your arm movements and let your legs just kind of really follow your arms. That makes sense. It does. And then... Once you crest around 19 and a half, once you crest that hill, get back into your form because once again, you're going to have a little bit of flat from about 19 and a half to 20.2. So not quite a mile, but still pretty good time to recover. And then mile 20 to 21 is the infamous heartbreak hill. Heartbreak hill. So, and again, it's about a half a mile it's a little bit longer than a half mile and the course does gain 90 feet it goes from 150 feet of elevation to 240 feet of elevation so it is according to these stats the most substantial hill but again shorten your stride work your way through it and once you get over it guess what it's pretty sweet from there to the finish line Yeah, I'm reminded of a hill in the Ironman World Championship, a really steep hill around the 10-mile mark, and I was running with a guy 
I had met in Texas. And he put in a surge, I don't know why, and he just really got up that hill fast. And I thought, well, I'll I'll never see him again. And I just tried to maintain my effort. And it was probably 11 miles later, I saw him again, and he was not doing so good. (laughs) He may have shot his wad blowing past you on the hill. Remember, the marathon is not a sprint. This is true. This is true. So not long after you crest Heartbreak Hill, you actually pass Boston College, which is also those crowds are on your right. And again, if you're paying attention and listening, you can hear those crowds three quarters to a half mile out from when you can actually see them. And again, for those of you who feed off of loud crowd support, there's another chance to gain some energy. So from mile 21 to 22, There's actually a 90-foot drop during that one-mile stretch. Again, you've been shortening your stride often to get up four hills. Your legs are tired from those hills, so you really want to use this opportunity to open your stride back up and get a little bit more natural feel. Now, it is downhill, so you're still wanting to be careful not to put the brakes on and not to be overstriding. But you can definitely get back into the pace. Yeah, get back into your rhythm. Get back into the rhythm. That's a good word. So then miles 22 to 24, you're going to take a left turn. So you're going to take another turn. You're going to turn into Cleveland Circle. There's trolley tracks there. And I can remember those thinking, what are my quads going to feel like when I'm lifting my legs up over these tracks? Just don't trip on the trolley tracks. That would make for a bad day. Yeah. It's a really fun part of the course, though. Crowds, really, from Boston College all the way to the finish line are pretty substantial. And the other thing, too, if you've run your marathon smart, there are going to be a lot of potential athletes to pass. And that's one way you can kind of stay motivated and try to keep your legs turning over is just pick out somebody and pass them and pick out somebody else and pass them. Yeah, we've often encouraged athletes late in a race, regardless of the distance of the race, to start counting how many people they pass after a certain point. In the Boston Marathon, after the Newton Hills, you might get to a really large number if you've run a smart race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might lose count. Anyway, during this uh, section... Of 22 to 24, the course drops from 150 feet of elevation to 25 feet of elevation. And if you have run smart to this point and you have trained on hills, then this is the time you can go ahead and be aggressive. And if you can, this is when you're going for personal best and exceeding your goal time. Like, When you're mile 22 and you're feeling great and your legs will turn over, take advantage of it. Let the big dog eat. Uh, Yes. (laughs) That's funny. Let the big dog eat. So somewhere around mile 23, you'll start seeing the famous sit-go sign in the distance. I was really surprised at how long I could see that sit-go sign. It's big and it's far off in the distance yeah so you still have a you know you still have a good 5k to run at this point but again a 5k you're not holding back at this point you're doing what you can do and then mile 24 to the finish right before mile 25 you approach just a speed bump 
we would call it. There is a hill there near Fenway Park area, but it's not huge. You'll feel it, but hey, just keep on pushing. You're almost there. And then right after mile 25, you're going to take a right turn onto Commonwealth Avenue. And soon thereafter, you're going to go the famous right on Hereford. Is that how you say that? I think so. Hereford Street. And then, for some reason in my mind, Hereford Street was uphill. But maybe it wasn't. But it just felt uphill to me. I seem to recall a little incline before you make that left-hand turn. Yeah. And, yeah. At the beginning of the race, there's a blue line, a thick blue line painted in the middle of the road. And then somewhere toward the end, that thick blue line is painted again. So, for whatever reason, I just felt real pro-like running on that blue line. (laughs) So... (laughs) If I was passing people and they were on the blue line, I just hated to have to go around them, but it didn't seem right to push them out of the way. <laughs> that would not be nice. It would not be nice. But once you turn left onto Boylston, that finish stretch is long, but the crowds are excited and it is a pretty exciting. I don't know how long it is to you. I am thinking it is like 600 meters. Yeah. But it's a fun little stretch. And the other thing that I found out when I was doing a little research is I wanted to know where the Martin Jails were going to be on the course so that I would know how many to carry and then do the math to see how many 45 minutes there are between these. But the first one, the first aid station where they are distributing Martin Jails is actually in the town of Wellesley. At 11.8 miles. So it's actually on the Wellesley Town line, so you wouldn't know you're in Wellesley yet. So that's quite a way before the first jails are offered. Yes, it is. So, yeah. I, I think, though, I'll only need to carry one jail with me, and that'll carry me out. And then the next jails are at mile 17, and then there's jails at mile 21 and a half at Boston College. So the jails we've talked about before are the Morton jails, and they are going to have the caffeinated and the non-caffeinated jails. I would recommend that you carry a spare jail. Okay, I can do that. I will say, if you have a race like I had in Mesa, for your FYI, there are portalettes at every aid station. Hopefully you won't need any this time. Yep. Just as a point of interest, do you know what the course record is? 203.02. That is correct. I'm impressed. I was there in 2011. And I have a poster in our garage with the finish time of 203.02. Is that poster of Jeffrey Mutai? I think so. No. Well, there you go. He had a 101.57 at the half and a 101.05 at the second half. So there, if you have it, listeners, you can negative split Boston. (laughs) And he did. And then, well, let's just see then. Do you know the women's course record? I do not. Okay. Would you want to take a stab at it? No? 216. 219.59. And this was a 69.27 through the first half, which netted a 65-second positive split and that was Buzanesh Deba in 2014 Hmm. and then of course the Americans on the women's side Shalane Flanagan also in 2014 has 
2.2202, and she had a 2.36 positive split. And it looks like she was with Buzanesh Deba at the half because they were both at 69.27 at the half. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And then, of course, the men's American record holder for this course is Ryan Hall. In, in 2011. Was that also in 2011? He finished third. Yeah, well, he was with Jeffrey Mutai at the 101.57, but he did not negative split it. But he still finished in 204.58 with a 64-second positive split. I had something I wanted to share about Boston. Awesome. Unrelated to the marathon... Well, it's kind of related to the marathon. I was doing some research, and there's a running club in Boston called the Pioneers Running Crew. And they host an event on the Saturday before the Boston Marathon. And it is a marathon. And they take the athletes on their course through the historic parts of the Boston area. So it's more of a tour of Boston than the Boston Marathon is, because the Boston Marathon is point to point from Hoppington all the way back to Boston. But it's similar to the New York City Marathon in that this course takes runners through a lot of different parts of Boston, and they claim that it's the hidden gems for runners who are native to the area. And what is that marathon called? I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's the Pioneers Running Crew Boston Marathon. But it starts at Malcolm X Park and finishes at Malcolm X Park on the Saturday before the Monday of the Boston Marathon. So like two days before or the whole week before? Two days before. But it's great that they have a vibrant running community. And it would be interesting to experience some of the better places to run in the Boston area, not just the Boston Marathon course. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. And I think that's what's interesting about Monumental Marathon in Indianapolis. I feel like you see a lot of Indianapolis and Chicago and New York being the same. You're actually running the city of Chicago and all the boroughs of New York City. So Boston Marathon is a little bit of a misnomer because you're not in Boston except for, you know, the last four or five miles. Getting on the bus and finishing. (laughs) True. And uh, use some time before you get on the bus. There are portalets in the bus staging area. Don't be in a huge hurry to get on the bus. Go ahead and utilize the facilities there because the bus ride can become quite miserable if your bladder becomes active 10 minutes into the journey. Yeah, it's a long bus ride. 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, and from everything I can see, if you're in wave three, there's no reason to be in a huge hurry and try to get to buses before you're assigned bus time because you can sleep in a little bit later, can relax. If your time below the bus is 8.15, arrive in the bus loading area around 8, use the restroom, get up. Get in the bus line. If you're not on the bus until 8.30, you are going to be fine. So that would be my tip is don't try to get in line and get on a bus early because you're just going to get out to Athlete's Village and wait. 
and wait. And unless you've paid, I've seen some companies that for the small fee of $90 per person, you can get on a charter bus and ride from Boston to Hopkinton. And the benefit is it's a, it's not a school bus. It's a coach bus. So it has restrooms on the bus. And also you can stay on the bus until it's time for your wave start. But you know, I just like to experience the marathon the way the masses experience the marathon. So I will not be trying to upscale my Boston experience <laughs> in any way. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And hopefully this podcast is timely and will be useful, especially to those of you if you're running Boston for the first time. Whether you, whether you have qualified for the first time or whether you are raising money and supporting a charity, congratulations. You're going to love the experience. And we will see you in Boston. For our scripture this week, we will just go with my mantra, which is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen to that. And it's a miracle and a blessing to be able to participate in this historic event. Thank you, Lord. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.